Hello and welcome. You are listening to Navigating the Metaverse, where we interview trailblazers in the NFT and metaverse space who share their insider advice for how to do business in the Web 3.0 era. Your hosts are Tommaso DiBartolo and Kathy Hackle. And this series is brought to you by Upland and Decrypt Media, your go-to media source for demystifying Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the decentralized web. By the way, did you know that you can buy, sell, and trade virtual land inside of Upland, the metaverse that is mapped to the real world? People love it because Upland is so much more than a game. Uplanders earn real money by running so-called meta-ventures where they sell virtual goods, aka NFTs, to others. Even better, a super engaged and helpful community helps newcomers to make first steps in this dynamic and fast-growing metaverse a lot of fun. You can download Upland on iOS or Android or enter it on the web by using the referral link in the show notes. Grab your special sign-up bonus of 6,000 UpX today and start rebuilding the world with others. With that being said, enjoy today's episode. And we are live to a new episode of uh, the Metaverse Economy. Today, again, with a great lineup of speakers, Martina Welkoff and Kate Mitzel-Maker. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having us, Tommaso. Yeah, excited for the conversation. Um, I'm so intrigued to uh, hear to your lessons learned, all things around the economy of the metaverse slash NFT investments and uh, what the next months are bringing us. And I would like to start by um, making a short round of introduction. Kate Mitzel Macher is the CEO and co-founder yep. of Blox Accelerate. Did I pronounce it correctly, uh, Kate? Yep, Mitzel Marker and it's Block Accelerate. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fantastic. You got it. <laughs> I go with Decentralized Engine for blockchain innovators. They're a team of serial investors, entrepreneurs, and executives from Fortune 500 companies, passionate about supporting entrepreneurs in the blockchain space. And in this episode, we'll hear Kate share the perspective on the metaverse and the concept of the real world and the virtual world eventually merging into one. Kate, such a pleasure to have you on this episode today. Thanks for having me. And we have uh, Martina Welkoff, managing partner of WXR Fund, a venture firm at the intersection of two immense opportunities, female entrepreneurs and the next wave of computing. The portfolio includes metaverse platforms like Obsess, Scatter, and Shapes XR. We are honored to have Martina on the show to share with us um, how she helped companies realize the metaverse in some capacity provide immersive content and experience um, to the world. So great to have you, Martina. Thank you. We are at the very intriguing, uh, and we were discussing backstage exactly about, uh, about the, uh, the, the, the right moment, the right time, right? And uh, what we have been experiences in uh, 2021 was uh, a huge wave of uh, um, early aficionados getting into this acronym non-fungible token slash NFT, right? And But what, how, what are your experiences, Martina, in terms of what is this next generation of consumer looking for? How is it different from the Web 2.0 world? Well, there's, I think there's a lot of exciting elements uh, to this, this current wave, which I'd say we're at the, you know, very beginning of in, in many ways. And um, I think a lot of it is about 
the power of the user and decentralizing the way that information and resources flow and making sure that as much as possible, people who are creating value and creating content are reaping the rewards and benefits of that. And that's a, a big structural difference in what we're seeing emerging with Web3 and the metaverse, um, which again is in its nascent stages, but I, I think that's a really promising trend I would like to see continue. Um, and you know, that you alluded to this with Kate's intro and I'm excited to hear her talk a little bit more about this, but there's this convergence of our physical and digital lives. And I think we will get to a point where that distinction is less and less recognizable. And I, and I think there's some very, very exciting implications of that. And, and that can be a very positive thing for us collectively and as a society. And of course, there are dangers to be aware of and, and, and directions that I personally would hope that we, we don't go in that evolution. And so, um, you know, I, I am excited about uh, the, the momentum and energy in the space and the resources being applied because of that. And I think this is a critical stage to be very intentional about uh, kind of the ethical framework and foundation that we're building and the voices we're including in shaping the products and shaping the economy ultimately that will touch every aspect of our lives. And that's that's where we're coming from with the gender lens perspective is we want to make sure women are a big part of that story. But there's obviously many dimensions to that. And, and I think it's important and we've learned the lessons of what happens when it's a very homogenous elite group making those decisions. And a lot of people are uh, left out and there's a lot of... Um, blind spots that, that we maybe didn't see. So there's, there's so many examples in social media and what we're now recognizing were harmful trends. So that's what I hope we can get in front of as an industry and as the sort of, uh, you know, early stage builders in what is going to become our life. Like, you know, the pervasive air we breathe will be physical and digital and less and less distinct. I love it. The air we breathe will be digital and <laughs> Kato, what are your thoughts on, on, on this type of an air? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I, I foresee metaverse economy uh, evolve into a multi-trillion dollar economy, just like we have the real world economy today functioning uh, as a trillion dollar economy. And I agree with Martina that it's going to kind of cross the boundaries of the virtual and the physical world. But if we look in the, in the immediate future, uh, the reality is, uh, the current state of the metaverse is primarily a Web 2-based uh, economy uh, revolving around gaming um, and not so much anything else. Um, so the, the best way to even analyze it, what, what it looks like today, is to look at the status quo, uh, even though we both agree that it's going to evolve. And if we look at the status quo, the majority of the Web 2 uh, platforms have evolved to be closed loop ecosystems. Uh, even if you take a progressive company like Roblox uh, that is now publicly traded, uh, that engages 300 million developers to come and build on their platform, there's very little utility that these developers and players can derive from the Roblox games and assets outside of the Roblox ecosystem. It is stays within the ecosystem it is not really monetizable by them within the ecosystem with an exception of revenue share on the games uh, developed by the developers themselves. What I see happening in the future, even just in the gaming context, and by the way, I'm not a gaming expert by no means, uh, so uh, Martina, I'll refer to you um, for gaming-specific questions. 
But what I, I foresee happening in the future is this closed loop ecosystems opening up and becoming more open Web3 based ecosystem, where instead of uh, developers and creators producing value for the for the company uh, alone, they can take that value and take these assets outside of the closed loop uh, ecosystem of the company and monetize these assets in other virtual world, virtual worlds and other virtual settings. And I think that will open up the gateway for millions, not just hundreds, but millions of developers, millions of creators and millions uh, of new users entering the metaverse uh, that they previously didn't have the incentive to, to participate in. I love the point that you are touching upon interoperability, right? And, uh, and the perspective of uh, having a community that uh, not only has ownership, but really the, the decentralized or leverages the decentralized advantages, right? And there are the, there are the two, there are the two parties right now, as of today, 2021, where the one party, which is more the industry, comes and says, okay, I want to create a portfolio of, of digital assets, but because it's my IP, I would like to keep control of my IP. And then you have basically this, the legal team involved, right? So is it leaving this uh, environment ecosystem slash the metaverse, maybe not with a capital M, but with a small M? like the, the metaverse in the metaverse, right? To me, the, me the big picture of the metaverse is, is really the interplay of DeFi, decentralized system of the, of the developers, of the uh, designers, right? And they can really freely interoperate, uh, right? So what do you think, mm -hmm. maybe Martina, what do you think is, uh, is uh, a challenge when we think of getting interoperability into the next phase, meaning really, a system that is truly decentralized and like Kate is saying, Web 3.0 in its behavior rather than 2.0. Yeah, I think of the challenges in kind of two main buckets. Uh, the first being technical. There are real technical challenges to solve. Um, and there are great organizations like OpenXR, and I'm sure there are many on the blockchain side as well that are working on that aspect. And I actually see that as sort of the more straightforward piece of the puzzle. I think where it gets more complex is the business side and balancing the economic interests and the legal interests and um, the ethos that Kate alluded to of many companies being these, these walled gardens right now um, and, and working through that such that we can evolve as an ecosystem to, to a place where there's you know, seamless cross-platform functionality and, and a way to track uh, the, the digital assets themselves as well as the, the value uh, that users are creating in, in those environments and reward the users and the entities, the businesses that are kind of providing uh, those resources and environments. And, and there's a whole lot of complex challenges in that. And I think like most things that I've observed in my career in technology, the technical aspects can be solved and, and we have a lot of the tools today to solve those. It's the messy human aspect and the uh, divergent interests and um, ethical frameworks and incentives that are, are really going to be the, the messy challenging part of this. And so, you know, I, I think it remains to be determined. Some some companies have are, are starting to 
philosophically uh, change a bit, but it, but it is slow. And I think there's still a lot of tension there. Um, and then of course, at some point, regulators will become more actively involved. We're starting to see indications of that as well. So um, that's where I, I see the next decade, maybe two or three decades uh, being uh, challenging, but in, but in a very healthy way. I, I think in the long run, from my perspective, if we are able to open things up and we are able to make that um, something that, that you know, a user can navigate with as little friction as possible, it will benefit everyone. I, I think it's really a rising tide uh, lifts all boats situation, but I think we are far from everyone being aligned in that perspective at this point. So yeah, and I, I agree with that. Um, and also uh, to add, I think what we're going to experience is the clash of business models. The Web2 business models are predicated, fundamentally predicated on advertising and subscription-based revenues. Those are C corporations, publicly traded. They have to report to the uh, shareholders and they report in forms of revenues that they collect from those subscription revenues and advertising revenues. Now you have this new emerging model that is not predicated on advertising and subscription. It is predicated on uh, user-generated content that is self-monetizable and an element of a shared economy uh, where users and developers, players can own assets, can own in-game assets, and they monetize the value of those assets versus the C-Corp uh, that used to be in the middle of every transaction. And fundamentally, there's going to be a clash of the Wall Street and, and, and the Main Street, um, uh, you know, favoring which business model wins. But ultimately, I think if, if we can find a Web2 um, kind of established company like Blizzard that has years and years of experience creating amazing content, amazing experiences for players and decentralizing itself and giving incentives to their players to monetize on their characters, on their avatars. And I'm just talking about gaming. Obviously, this goes way beyond gaming uh, context. We'll see billions of people enter this metaverse economy. And this is what I'm really excited about. Hey, maybe let's stick to this word metaverse economy, right? Because in, 20, um, in Q1 and Q2, we saw roughly... In terms of NFT overall volume, according to some statistic, um, a billion, a billion point three, what I read recently each quarter, right? And then Q3 this year, we have seen a revenue spiking 9x, uh, over 10 billion, right? Q4 from, uh, from the statistic I'm following and, and, and the peers I'm connected with, right? It's, uh, it's another, another growth uh, moment, right? But but now we, we are entering into uh, metaverse and you and you said at the beginning, Kate, you know, metaverse, a multi-trillion dollar economy. Well, when does the metaverse actually start? What makes this world metaverse? Are the marketplaces that we see out there, uh, the tokens builder, the collectibles, uh, the, uh, the fantasy, uh, the fantasy, um, games that are primarily focused around NFT, are they moving into metaverses? When, when starts a metaverse? What are your thoughts? So, so maybe I should start with what my definition of the metaverse is, and then we can evaluate whether we're already in the metaverse or not. So my definition of the metaverse is a collection of uniquely crafted virtual worlds 
designed to provide a specific experience to the user where you have assets, objects, and people interacting with each other in an interoperable way. That is fundamentally my, my definition. I know there's a lot of different thought leaders. Uh, Matthew, I think, uh, Ball is one of them. Uh, he defines it slightly differently, but it's a, it's a collection of, of virtual worlds. So you can argue that uh, currently we're already in the metaverse because we're operating in a, maybe not a 3D environment, but in a 2D environment where you have uh, browser-based uh, universes that one can enter and uh, engage with and participate with. Um, I think the, the tipping point, if you will, for saying we are officially in the metaverse, in my mind, is when everything that we see, feel, and touch around us is represented in some form of self-sovereign identity uh, way, uh, call it an NFT way, uh, in this new virtual world. At the moment, it's not. In the internet, you have to rely on intermediaries to verify the ownership, the attestation, the custody of, of all of these assets. Once we get to the point where you get rid of all of these intermediaries and you can interact with objects, assets, and people in a self-sovereign way, I think that's the moment that we can say we are officially in the metaverse. Martina, what are your thoughts on, on, on this? I, I really like Kate's definition, and I, and I do think it's interesting to um, explore different perspectives on this, where there, there's a lot of overlap, I think, in how many of us are using the term metaverse or think about the realization of it, but there's also uh, some gray area of slightly different perspectives. And my my take is, um, I guess, more subjective in a sense in that I think when I, when I will feel the metaverse has arrived in a, at a meaningful scale is when we are living big parts of our life. And I don't know, quantitatively, let's say over 50%, maybe we're, we're, you know, we're living at least equal parts of our life uh, in these digital environments in a meaningful way. And that's meaningful economically. So we're really, um, you know, either either doing our work or creating content such that it's you know supporting our, our livelihood but there, there's an economic component for us each individually in that socially we're really uh engaging uh beyond what we're doing today with with just video chat but we're we're hanging out we're having parties we're hosting events for fun in digital environments, which is happening in games, of course, right now, but, but I think, you know, there's so much possibility beyond um, just what we're seeing in games. That's the early, early indication of that. And we are um, attributing a lot of our meaningful experiences to digital environments. And this is, goes back to some research I did years ago, but, you know, there's, in VR currently, the, our memories of um, events in VR are closer to a lived experience than a vicarious experience. So what that means psychologically and um, the sort of the opportunity in that is, is we can live um, and, and remember those experiences as if we were, you know, in 
a, a, a big virtual rave or a big, you know, whatever, whatever the context, there's all sorts of, you know, the possibilities are really infinite in what we can do with that. But um, there's early indications of that. And some of us, I think, are closer to that than others. I mean, there are days where I probably spend close to 50% of my time in virtual worlds and in meaningful ways. But the, you know, the vast majority of people aren't there yet. And so that's, that's when I think about the metaverse arriving in a sense is, when, when our lives are really happening there and, and the economy is really shifting to those spaces um, in ways that impact us in each individually, not just at the corporate level. Yeah, and I would also add to that real quick. Um, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. We have to be careful what we wish for. Um, I, maybe it's a <laughs> old-fashioned view, but I don't necessarily want to live in a Ready Player One you know, environment 24-7. I hope that the real world will still be there and we can escape the metaverse if we want to and vice versa. We can escape the real world into the metaverse uh, when we when we feel like it. Yeah, what's yeah. happening? Go ahead. I'm sorry, I wanted to fall onto that, but I, I don't mean to suggest, so, so to me, it's really that the distinction becomes less valid. And I think this is where mixed reality and other things are part of this as well, that it's not always completely leaving the physical or completely being immersed in the digital. There's, there's all sort, this is a spectrum of, um, yeah. Um, activity there. And and I really like Tom Furness is a professor here at UW, University of Washington, who's done a lot of research for many decades in this arena. And he talks about um, virtual experiences, immersive experiences in particular, bringing us closer to the physical environment. So I think there is a sort of um, very optimistic possibility here and it's not a given by any means there's all sorts of dystopic possibilities as well but there's a possibility of this actually bringing us into a closer relationship with our physical environment and and to community um if if it plays out the way that i hope it will mm-hmm. okay metaverse nation great news if you're enjoying this episode you'll love our book Written by our lovely co-hosts and industry leaders in the NFT and metaverse space, we published an in-depth guide for how to succeed in the new Web 3.0 environment. How can you as a brand or a company capitalize on the momentum? How are others doing it? We demystify the industry and potential for you. The link to the book is listed in the show notes, or you can simply look for the Navigating the Metaverse book on Amazon or visit our website at themetaversebook.me. But let's get back to the show. I have an interesting, uh, I have an interesting story to share with you regarding shifts and, and perspectives. I have two uh, boys, uh, David and, and, and Sam. Uh, younger one, 15, the older one, 20. Uh, by the way, I still don't believe I have a 20 years old son. He just turned 20. Uh, no longer a teen. And what has been happening, uh, let's say, starting with, with age two this year, right, that they are no longer just in this uh, centralized uh, gaming environment, right? But they starting, first they started really asking, obviously, you know, I'm involved in this business and, and, and okay, what is it you do? And then it became uh, uh, exploratory from their side. And now seeing a massive shift into, wait a second, I no longer want just to engage for, uh, in, in games for the entertainment factor, right? Um, but uh, I can actually here be part of something, uh, being associated with something that I have a certain form of uh, ownership, right? So the play to earn, play to own perspectives. And I'm seeing definitely here um, trends are going, if I want to call it trends, right, are going towards, okay, um, 
this is way more like the, the definition of benefit has been changed, right? For, for what is the benefit on the entertainment and what's the benefit of entertainment per, plus getting a piece of the action? Maybe let's stick to the word trend and opportunities, right? You both are investing, right? And uh, every fund is made up uh, um, something crucial, which is the deal flow, right? And, and you both are into into investment in, into future into future opportunities around blockchain. What trends are you seeing? What are entrepreneurs out there uh, working on right now? Uh, most recently, um, who would like to go for a skate? Maybe. Yeah, sure. Yes, you are absolutely right. That's our job. That's what we look at every day. Is this is all great stuff? But if there is no opportunity to invest, then we probably shouldn't be spending time here. Um, the way that we we think about uh, metaverse is through the lens of a technology stack. Um, we think that if we are correct to assume that this will evolve into a multi-trillion dollar economy, there will be uh, many multi-billion, potentially trillion dollar opportunities to invest in various layers of the stack. And similar to how we have the Web2 version of the stack with uh, protocols, operating system, compute, network, storage, um, application layers, we are seeing an emerging Web3 version of the Metaverse stack emerge with similar layers of the stack plus additional layers that are not a part of, of, the, um, of the Web2 uh, world. In fact, I'm going to be publishing a paper about this probably in about a week. Um, if anybody is interested to read it, um, it should be found on our website. But fundamentally, the, the areas that we are going to be focusing on um, are we're going to continue to focus on the protocol layer. That's something we've already invested in, in a number of protocol uh, layer one and layer two companies. But in addition to that, uh, there is a content, asset, attestation, identity services layer. Uh, so how do you enter the, the metaverse? How do you represent yourself uh, in the metaverse? And how do you create this self-sovereign identity around yourself in the metaverse? Example of, of that would be uh, Ethereum name service, PNS. Um, a lot of folks think that it's going to become the new identity uh, standard uh, for the metaverse. Uh, but also we can think about crypto avatars, for example. If you create an avatar for yourself and you create a record of your performance, of your achievements, of your academic records, of your financial records uh, that can be stored in the form of an NFT, in the form of an avatar. That becomes a very interesting value proposition. Uh, historically, as a firm, we've been very interested in the middleware um, layers of the stack. So we're looking at developer tools that are pertinent specifically to the metaverse, but also outside of uh, metaverse. So the, the likes of Unity, but specifically for, for Web3 development. And then another area that is extremely fascinating is the whole ecosystem service providers, what I call. And think of those as, um, in the traditional sense, um, you had Zillow sh uh, show up as a marketplace for managing land. Well, now we're seeing the likes of Zillow show up for managing virtual land. Uh, buying, selling, managing virtual land. Um, or something like um, um, YGG, which is essentially a 
an equivalent of Avis or Hertz in the rental car business where they own a bunch of assets, they own a bunch of these axes in these games, and they can rent those assets out to players who cannot afford to buy them or do not want to invest money up front to buy them. So I think it's fascinating. Um, and I think similar to how we've seen economy, the real world economy evolve, um, into this uh, new Web2 companies. We're going to see Web3 companies come up in the metaverse. And those are some of the examples that, uh, that we're looking at. Martina, opportunities, trends, what are you seeing? Yeah, so I think um, the last few months and the, again, attention and buzz that the space has gotten has certainly created more opportunity. But even before that, we really saw the pandemic accelerate a lot of opportunity and adoption in the space. And you mentioned Obsess in your introduction. I think the retail commerce space is, is one of the sectors where we're seeing huge opportunity. Obsess builds immersive shopping platforms and they're increasingly social and gamified. And there'll, there'll be a lot of the elements we talked about, you know, as kind of a definition of the metaverse incorporated over time. So retail commerce is huge. Um, And uh, I apologize for the barking dogs, the, the virtue of working from home. Uh, and uh, education is an interesting one. So education historically has not been a space uh, that has moved as quickly as, as other sectors, but the pandemic changed that. And one of our portfolio companies, Prisms of Reality, is focused on STEM education in virtual reality. And they're seeing huge adoption and enthusiasm and eagerness from public school districts, um, in part, unfortunately, because of the learning loss that occurred during the pandemic. But I think there's a real realization that we need new tools in education and we need to have a new um, equitable approach. And that's one of the things that's very exciting for, about virtual reality in particular. So uh, I think there's, there's readiness, market readiness across um, sectors that are not historically uh, early adopters. And um, we're seeing that extend to, to virtually every, every sector, um, but particularly, you know, the places where I'm personally drawn to the places where there's a lot of potential uh, positive social impact like education, healthcare. Um, and then one other piece I want to mention, and this touches a, a little bit on um, what Kate mentioned about identity. I think there's, there's a whole social layer to this that it's very interesting and identity is one piece of it. And then there's the, um, virtual beings and AI that will inevitably be part of those interactions and part of those relationships. So one of the companies we've invested in is called Empathic, and it's actually um, software that helps to make uh, communication, whether it's AI or human generated, more empathic and human. And so when we think about the way we'll actually be building relationships with AI, um, I, the movie Her comes to mind for those of you who have seen it. Um, Solutions like that are going to be very important to making those interactions feel authentic and hopefully making them, you know, ultimately positive and, uh, and um, improving our, our connectivity to uh, technology and each other versus, you know, the ways that that could, again, go, go to a darker place. So we're also interested in those types of solutions that help the technology we're interacting with to be more human and intuitive. Very intriguing, very intriguing. And if I interpreted your dog correctly, he was also making a point metaverse and animals. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> My dogs hate virtual reality for the for the record. <laughs> so we gotta solve for that someday. <laughs> I'm curious to hear your your thoughts, your experiences. Uh, uh, if the entrepreneur that has built 
technology to solve problems in the web 2.0 um, is different for the entrepreneur that is building things for the web 3.0 question mark have you hmm. seen anything that you say in the in the 2.0 we saw a certain type of behaviors maybe also priorities in how to build a um a, a startup and validate the hypothesis or would you say oh, it's it's equal maybe the sentence doesn't make uh, this question doesn't make any sense no i think it does we've actually seen increasing number of web 2.0 entrepreneurs but also web 2.0 executives leave web 2.0 companies and join web 3.0 companies the latest example being the former cfo of uh, lyft uh, just joined as the first cfo of uh, opensea which you can consider a Web3 company, even though it's centralized at the moment. Um, but um, in terms of the traits or the personality, uh, I, I think entrepreneurs fundamentally uh, define themselves as people who look for opportunities and problems uh, that they can solve. Um, and it doesn't really matter whether they're solving those problems in the Web2 setting or Web3 setting. So in fact, having Web2 experience building products and delivering them to customers is very similar to what you have to do in the web three. You just have to rethink the economics behind what you're, you're delivering. Uh, but I, I would, I would say that uh, you absolutely will see more web two entrepreneurs join the web three economy and build successful companies. Martin, any, any lessons learned or any stories you can share about that? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the most important attribute I look for in an entrepreneur is the ability to adapt and learn and iterate quickly. And I think that is more imperative than ever at the pace things are moving. And um, I, I think experience building in Web2 will translate if the entrepreneur is curious and always relentlessly questioning their assumptions and learning and evolving. And that's that's a very hard state of mind and being to sustain. I think, you know, humans are wired at a certain point to start believing we, you know, we have the answers or believing we see the world in a certain way. And an the most successful entrepreneurs, I think, are constantly questioning and uh, changing their beliefs with the new observations, with the new data coming in. And so, so I think entrepreneurs who have done well in Web2 and are maintaining that mentality and constantly learning are going to be successful in Web3 as well. But, um, but it will take that, that constant commitment to learning. Fantastic. Kate, Martina, uh, such a uh, insightful conversation. I could talk for hours with you, but I want to be respectful and uh, I want to wrap up things uh, for this uh, current episode with uh, a more visionary uh, question, which I usually love to, uh, here in Silicon Valley, we say pick the brains of, of, of peers, right? Kate and Martina, uh, travel with me to the year 2030. Mm-hmm. How are we going to live in the metaverse? Martina, you want to go first? Um, you know, it's so funny because in some ways 2030 seems very far away and in some ways I feel like we'll blink and we'll be there. And I think, um, I do think we'll be closer to the point of sort of what we've described in many ways of uh, the, the importance of our digital lives rising to, um, to, get closer to what we consider I, that distinction between real and digital will be, will be less important, but I, but I don't think we'll be 
I don't think our lives will be unrecognizable from where they are today. And, and I think uh, we'll still be, and I think this transition is, is going to, uh, to take a while. And, you know, many of us at that point probably will be interacting daily with some kind of immersive heads up, hands free display. I think kids born today will be a little bit confused about why, where we ever, uh, why we ever use 2D interfaces, but I don't think, but I don't think you know elements of today will be unrecognizable. So I think we'll still be maybe if we think of the analogy of the cell phone. You know, today we're at the Zach Morris clunky phone. Maybe by then we'll be at the flip phone or, or closer to the early smartphone. Um, but uh, I think there'll still be some room to grow. So from flip phone to the to the clunk, from clunky phone to flip phone. <laughs> hey, that's what's your vision? Maybe we'll wait, wait yeah. Today. So I, I guess I'll put a, a kind of a crypto blockchain spin on my predictions. Um, I have three specific ones. Uh, one is I think by year 2030, we'll see at least a billion people uh, live, work, earn, uh, interact, communicate, even pay taxes within the metaverse. Um, number two, I think that the value, similar to how we have global trade right now, and most of the global trade uh, is predicated on the transfer of physical goods. I think we'll see the, the emergence of the global trade of virtual goods. So a specific example is virtual land. In the last week alone, we saw $106 million sales of virtual land. If you annualize, that's about $5.5 billion worth of virtual land sold. The total real estate market in the, in the world is $300 trillion. So I think by year 2030, we'll see the value of the virtual good trade exceed the value of the physical good trade. And one of those examples being land. And the last prediction uh, that I'll make, actually sooner than 2030, I think by year 2025, more jobs, more new jobs will be created in the metaverse than in the real world. And that is because new industries are emerging and completely new business models are emerging. And with that, new job creation is happening um, as we speak. And one example of that is virtual economist. Um, I think I saw that uh, on Twitter. Somebody said virtual economist will become the most in-demand job of all times. Um, and that's just one example of, of a new job that has not existed in the past. Wow. Wow, what uh, what uh, what an outlook! What an outlook, right? Uh, one is more gradual and uh, and uh, and also very much focus on uh, on 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 the physical the physical example that you did, right? So the phone example, which which makes uh, always things uh, uh, very tangible, right? And then one billion one billion people you said in the metaverse, right? The the global trade shift from virtual to from physical mm -hmm. to virtual, and then. Uh, um, an amazing outlook for for the jobs in in the metaverse. Very intriguing. With that, I actually would like to wrap up this this episode. I want to super thank you, uh, Kate and and Martina, to taking the time, uh, allowing our our audience here to to learn uh, um, throughout this episode. And um, uh, well, the the very last thing that I like to share, I'll meet you in the metaverse. <laughs> Sounds good, Thomas. Thank you, and looking forward to reading your book. Good, job. Good chatting, Martina. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This episode was brought to you by Upland and Decrypt Media. 
our go-to place for the latest Bitcoin and Ethereum news from Decrypt. Get the latest on cryptocurrency prices, breaking news, and more about Bitcoin and blockchain on Decrypt.co. Another quick reminder about our referral code for Upland, the Earth's metaverse where you can flip virtual properties, become a MetaVentures entrepreneur, or just connect with other like-minded players to rebuild the world together. Download Upland on iOS, Android, or web today using the referral link in the show notes and get a 6,000 UpX sign-up bonus. Just a quick disclaimer, the information shared on this show is for entertainment purposes only. This is not investment advice. Thank you for joining us and see you in the metaverse.